Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Moss. Moss is the all-in-one solution for company expenses. With Moss, companies manage all expenses in one place from anywhere. The powerful Moss credit cards are ideal for high cloud costs. Moss offers card limits of up to half a million euros and payment terms of up to 60 days. This helps you to optimize your cash flow. Save time and money with Moss. Manage incoming invoices digitally and set your accounting on autopilot. All receipts are automatically pre-accounted. Your accounting data can be exported directly to Datev. This way, your month-end closing is done in just a few minutes. Additionally, you get 0.4% cashback on every payment. Stay on top of all expenses and use Moss free of charge for two months with the coupon code ALPHA. For more information, visit getmoss.com slash alpha. Get moss.com slash alpha. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. And today I'm talking to Frederic Rivian. Rivian, was that correctly pronounced? Rivian. Rivian, sorry. Uh, I'm, like my French is absolutely broken. Um, and we're talking about online identity, authentication, and uh, the broader privacy challenges behind like running a uh, a password manager, uh, as you do. You run a company called Dashlane. Um, I think you received around 200 million in funding, which is which is great for a European company from my perspective. And you're based in, in Paris right now. And behind you, I see I see bags and you're packing bags. Uh, what is the plan behind that? Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, thank you, Tobias. Very happy to be uh, here talking to you and uh, sharing a bit of my my Dashlane story, and uh, we actually have offices in uh, in Paris, in France, and we were uh, founded in France as a French company. Even though today we have offices in New York, in the US, and in Lisbon, in Portugal, and we are actually an American company as of today because those uh, uh, series we did four series of funding, all in the US. So we have uh, US investors, and uh, we are uh, incorporated into the Delaware uh, as a traditional uh, US startups are. And actually, the, I'm moving in one week. I'm moving to the US. I'm moving to New York uh, with the whole family, the wife and uh, my three daughters. So it's uh, a big adventure and uh, a lot of work to prepare the, the paperwork and the, the visa, the, the packing. And we're actually right now camping the, to a half empty apartment because most of our stuff has already gone into a container on a boat. That's, that's exciting. Um, did, did, do your daughters already uh, speak English or? No, they don't. So it's going to be a bit of a shock when they start school uh, in January after the, the holiday uh, break. Uh, but it's also a great opportunity for them to learn. So it's going to be like uh, being pushed into the swimming pool and, okay, now you need to swim and, <laughs> and you need to learn English and get used to it. 
So you're really leaving the comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For the whole family, we are. Okay. Yeah, fingers crossed that it all works out well. Um, Thank you. Can, can you maybe maybe tell us a bit more about yourself? I mean, how you got into computing, your your nerd path, um, in a way. Uh, how how did you did you like get there? Sure. Well, it's actually a pretty late uh, nerd path because we didn't have a computer at home uh, back in the days, and uh, I really started. Uh, discovering computers uh, during my uh, my studies, actually. That's when we had the first computer. Uh, I had the first computer. So, And I did uh, engineering studies, like general engineering, so mechanics and physics, and it was a bit of a broader uh, curriculum. And I, I decided at the end for the, my final year of study to, uh, to specialize into uh, computer science. I went to Cambridge in the UK to do a diploma in computer science, which was a great... Uh, great experience and that's how I went into computing. So I started my career at IBM. I had a scholarship from, from IBM for my, my studies. So I kind of owed them uh, years. <laughs> I did four years over there. And then I've been more like in, uh, in various companies, uh, usually uh, end user oriented, content oriented. So I've been in video gaming. I've been in uh, e-commerce. I've been in online gambling. And in the past six years, I've been at Dashlane uh, because actually I was using Dashlane uh, as a tool personally uh, since the beta. And when uh, Dashlane reached out for me to join at their CTO, it was really a kind of a, an interesting idea to be able to join the company and contribute to a tool I was using every day. And I knew the, the potential and the, the adventure that was behind it. Okay. Interesting. From online gambling to managing passwords. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a step. Um, and why did you choose Dashlane over 1Password? Well, actually, so at the time, uh, Dashlane was a French company. I wanted to use a French product uh, to manage my passwords. So that's how I started using Dashlane. Um, so that's just the, the history of it. There's no real more. Uh, and actually, I, I suppose I didn't, I didn't even benchmark at the time. I just used Dashlane. I guess that if I had benchmarked, maybe I would have gone to one password, which has been created way before Dashlane and was probably more mature at the time. And uh, hopefully we've been able to kind of catch up. And today, if I think about uh Dashlane and the competitive landscape is one password, LastPass, uh, which is like the big uh, ancient uh, company or, or people like Keeper. Uh, I hope we've been able to catch up and there is not so much difference between the one password and ourselves. And I really like uh, what they're doing. We're doing our own ways of doing the same thing. So it's, uh, it's interesting to, to, to compare and to, uh, to benchmark the two. And, and what differentiates you? I mean, I'm a one password user for, for ages, to be honest. Um, what, what would you, would you um, get me with? Yeah, so it's it's more a question. I, think, I mean, at least between one password and ourselves, it's more a question of uh, taste and taste and colors and so on. So we do the user experience in a bit of a different way. We address uh, the same issues in a bit of a different way in uh, how is the, the user flow and so on. And then we all have our specifics. So we've been uh, pushing a lot into uh, things like dark web monitoring and uh, automated password changer as a call to action when you've been breached and so on. Uh, one password, they're like, they, they've been more into a B2B and enterprise world for longer than we've had. So that's more of their current uh, uh, focus. And even though we're kind of doing the same uh, nowadays as well, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and they've been like uh, more strong in the, the, the Apple world. They always had very strong ties with, uh, with Apple and the, uh, macOS and iOS platform. We've been more, uh, not Android, but more like universal and not so strong in any of those platforms. Um, didn't they recently, um, I don't know, have a bit of a shit storm because they decided to move to Electron uh, away from, from native Mac development? Yeah, that's a very complicated uh, uh, decision to take. I mean, we, at Dashlane, we decided to stop supporting native uh, desktop uh, platforms like Windows and pure native Mac OS uh, 
uh, in early 2020. And then we've been working on making that migration happen for our customers because, of course, most of them were using that and moving to a web standalone experience. We're actually going to finish that uh, big migration and sunset early January, but that's a, that's a big choice for a company. But in today's world, it didn't make sense for us to keep maintaining uh, pure uh, Win32 apps or pure macOS apps when uh, actually when you're a password manager, everything happens in the browser. That's where you auto fill, that's where you auto log in, that's where you, everything is happening mostly. So we decided, okay, let's put all our, uh, all our effort into one single desktop platform, whether it's uh, Chrome, Firefox or Safari and so on. And that's, uh, that's easier from a user experience standpoint because you know how that ping pong between the native app and the, the browser. And it's also easier for us in terms of uh, uh, efforts and maintenance and so on. So it's a pure web app then? Yeah. Today, Dashlane, if you start Dashlane as a new user today, uh, you are a pure web app. Uh, I mean, it's a pure extension. But uh, browser extension is very close to a native app. It's just that it runs into the browser ecosystem in, and not in the OS ecosystem. But it's a, it's a rich uh, type of web app, let's say. Okay. There recently also has to has been like a lot of discussion uh, around Google's power and the manifest version three. Um, oh my God! Can you tell us more <laughs> don't about, tell about that? Me about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a pain <laughs> for every developer that has a, an extension, a browser extension, or and that has a, a lot of functionality in an extension. That's a massive pain because they decided to really reinvent the architecture behind extensions. Uh, make it like in a sense closer to the, 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 what happens on mobile and where the OS has way more control and can kill you, uh, kill the extension whenever they want. And so we're deep into that, uh, refactor of our extension to make it manifest V3 compatible. We're having a lot of conversation with Google. There's even like a W3C uh, community group that was started back in June, uh, to uh, have this conversation with the browser manufacturers and with Google, but it's, uh, it's a very complicated story. You may, may have seen recently there was a, an article on the EFF, uh, Uh, website, uh, Ghostory uh, published an article as well about their, the fact that Manifest V3 is going to maybe not kill, but it's going to impact very significantly the extension uh, ecosystem. I don't know what will happen. I mean, we have to do it because we are guests on the Chrome ecosystem, the same way we are guests on the Android or in, on the, uh, the iOS ecosystem. But I wish Google was a bit more open to uh, taking the feedback from the, the community and making the, the, the rules more... Uh, at the end of the day, more adapted to uh, each ecosystem. They're trying to, to like kind of merge the mobile and the desktop uh, platforms, but I mean, there are different platforms that have different needs and uh, yeah, that's a complicated story <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of work for us. Are they um, abusing their power on that end? Um, is that something you, one could say? I mean, I, I recently heard that, for example, ad blocking will be much harder with Manifest 3.3. Um, Yes. And ad blocking is obviously not um, a thing that Google necessarily wants. Um, I mean, it's uh, yeah, you could say they're abusing their power, but at the end of the day, it's their platform, their ecosystem. Uh, they decide. Huh? So uh, uh, I would, I wish they would be more open to make it uh, to make the ecosystem more open, so that everybody can benefit from it. And uh, but that's not really the case. They are they want to keep it controlled. They want to keep it restrained and. Uh, That creates, that creates a lot of constraints for, for third-party developers like us. Okay. Uh, one thing that also um, entered the browser a while ago is actually that you see your your face um, in the upper right area of Chrome, um, that they, like in a way, are introducing identity at the very first level. Whenever you start the browser, you can select the profile you want to use. Um, is that in long-term a problem for a password manager? I mean, I could imagine that 
they want to sell that identity at a certain time, that they want to, I don't know, build an app store, right? like a real app store for the web and make the web in a way the, the next app. Um, is that a challenge? I mean, it's a challenge. Uh, yes, uh, in a way, uh, Google uh, with their person, Chrome Password Manager or Apple with Keychain, they are competitors of what we do. In practice, it's always been the case. I mean, it's not uh, Chrome Password Manager is not new. Uh, Keychain is not new. So, uh, uh, but I think those ecosystems they've they've come to the realization that uh, I mean, uh, uh, there is a need for a broader ecosystem around identity and password management. Uh, so there is a, there is room for everybody in a sense. So I'm not saying I don't know what the future will will be, but uh, mm. today I feel that uh, um, if you are using Chrome Password Manager, you're tied to the Chrome uh, environment, and uh, you can't really use it on iPhone. I mean, it's more complicated to use it on other platforms. So there is a need for people that want a more universal uh, uh, platform that is not tied to the big tech and that has some level of uh, digital independence as well. Because one thing that you can be for sure is that when you uh, put your stuff in Chrome, uh, Google has everything. They have the keys, they have uh, everything, and uh, then that's, that's a choice around privacy and security. Do you trust the big tech uh, to do the things right? But they have conflicting uh, business interests as well. Mm-hmm. They, they're happy to provide you service for free, but uh, the data that they get from it is also a way for them to monetize. So um, personally, and I, of course, I'm the CTO of a patent manager, so I'm a bit biased in terms of how I think about privacy and security, but... Uh, I've stopped using, and I used to have a Gmail account. I've stopped using Gmail as my main uh, email a while ago, and now I'm using Fastmail, which I pay for, and that's an independent email provider. Uh, none of my daughters have Gmail account. I've created them a separate uh, Gmail um, account for their emails and so on. So I'd rather pay and be uh, more on the privacy side of things than uh, trust the big tech. I think it's a very dangerous thing for the future for us to do. Yeah, I mean, some big tech is also positioning towards privacy first, right? Apple um, is in a way spearheading that, but on the other hand, they are still yeah, they, they are very, they are very, they are very strong marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's just marketing of the, the, the privacy, and, and they, they try to do things right. But at the end of the day, yet again, their business is conflicting with the fact that they, they offer those type of services. So. Mm. Um, one, one question I have on my mind uh, is there actually a reason to have passwords still I mean 10 years from now do do we all need passwords um, or is the future rather like an Okta or something similar um, where you just have like an authentication service and you have I don't know maybe a small piece of hardware um, uh, that, that uh, uh, checks if you're real or something like that is that the future or is password still does it have a future i mean we've been talking we've been talking about passwordless for many many years and like 25 years ago bill gates was already saying the password is dead we're 25 years later the password is still there uh, my personal opinion on this is that if you think about the password at the end of the day it's just a secret it's a very simple secret it's the same as a uh, like a, a, a alibaba and uh, when uh, he was saying uh, sesame uh, uh, please open the door or whatever it's a very simple text secret so it's very cheap to implement and it's very cheap to maintain and to, uh, to use. Uh, in the same way, in a sense that uh, on the, if I think about the, the, the world of payment, we still have cash. You still have gold as a, the physical uh, version of this, even though you have on top of it credit cards, online payments, cryptocurrencies nowadays and so on. So my thinking is that something similar is going to happen with uh, the identity world. You're still going to have that secret as a, a key, a secret key, and that's going to be a, a string of text. But on top of it, you add biometrics because it's more convenient. You will add uh, uh, hardware to make it more convenient. You're going to add 
additional layers on top of it to hide the complexity and the the, the, the user experience from the password, but I think it's going to remain there. And in, in, the, in that same sense, uh, at Dashlane, we support biometrics, so you can use your uh, Touch ID or Face ID or whatever on top of uh, your master password. You can use, I have a security key, a hardware security key that I'm using instead of my, uh, my master password. So we're adding on top of it uh, additional uh, layers to make it more convenient, more user-friendly, but I think the, the the primitive, the identity primitive, is going to remain a, a, a piece of text that only you can know. Because yet again, if I think about biometrics, it's very convenient. But if your uh, biometric data is stolen, it's not like you're going to be able to change your your face or change your fingerprints. So it's not really for security; it's more for convenience. In the same way, uh, if you have a security key, it's fine. But if you if it's lost or if you get it stolen, what do you do? Yeah, well, it's it's just another factor, right? Um... But these days, I mean, um, I'm, as mentioned, I'm using one password. I would feel a bit better if I had another factor in it. I mean, it's you authenticate with oh, yeah, yeah, password yeah. Um, and that's it. Um, I, I want to use my face or my fingerprint. Um, and right now I can't. Can I do it with Dashlane or? No, no you, can, you can. But you, you're right. The, having multi-factor authentication is super important uh, because the pro I mean, the, the problem in, in a sense is that the password is very simple. So it's also very simple to uh, to hack and to uh, to, to 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 breach. So uh, and there are so many data breaches out there that uh, your password is not uh, enough for you to be protected today. So having the the password as a secret that you know uh, is one step, but you need uh, additional factors to make sure that uh, if one of them gets uh, corrupted or gets uh, stolen, you're not at risk. And that's why uh, more and more websites are supporting uh, different flavors of 2FA. And uh, at Dashlane, we will we we support you. Uh, with the two so if, for instance, if you have your GitHub account uh, stored in Dashlane, if you have your GitHub password, you have, you have your GitHub two FA stored there as well. You can uh, leverage uh, biometrics on top of it, and so on. The, the the main difficulty from a technical standpoint is that there is not really uh, yet again a, a web standard or web protocol for identity. It was really not part of the the foundations of the internet. So uh, the things like the FIDO Alliance are trying to uh, standardize the protocols around two-factor authentication. The W3C is trying to standardize the protocols around identity. There is uh, things like WebAuthn that was created uh, recently. But you see the very fragmented world uh, where everybody's doing a, it's a bit of the wild, wild west. Everybody's doing what they want. And, uh, and, and you mentioned also uh, things like Okta in the consumer world. You have Facebook Connect, you have login with Google. But yet again, we've seen in early October when Facebook went down, the impact on the web because nobody could, uh, could uh, log in anymore because Facebook Connect was down. So. Yeah, it's a very fragmented yeah. world. I would also rather not trust Facebook to authenticate me. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but but do you solve that biometric topic then? I mean, you mentioned all the standards like WebAuthn and FIDO2 and so on. Um, like I can use um, a biometric factor um, in, in your tool, even if it's web-based, uh, to, to authenticate with GitHub? No, uh, it depends if GitHub supports it. But uh, yes, okay. for instance, GitHub supports WebAuthn today, so you can uh, use all the two-factor uh, protocols that are behind WebAuthn, which is uh, uh, security keys, uh, biometrics, and so on. But that's because of GitHub, the website, uh, decided to support WebAuthn. And the problem today is that because there is no real standard and there is the, all the long tail of all the websites out there in the world, uh, and it's not like it's part of HTML or, or JavaScript as a, as a de facto standard. So not all the websites are supporting those, those protocols today. But if the website doesn't support it, can't you support it? Um, so that, um, I don't know, whenever I uh, authenticate with, with Dashlane um, and uh, use my account somewhere, 
uh, I have to use uh, another factor? So what we can do is we can hide the fact that we are auto-filling your password in the website through the biometrics. Instead of you yeah. uh, visibly seeing it, we'll just see like, okay, I'm just using my, my face ID and that's logging me in. But behind the scene, we're going back to the password because that's what the site supports and we are auto-filling uh, the login and password directly in the, 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 the login form. Yeah, I'm, I'm so just... It's not like, just, it's not like direct uh, use of yeah. biometrics. I'm just, I'm just asking because a lot of people actually store... Um, the second factor um, in a tool like Dashlane or One Password, and just use a password to authenticate, and um, like with a with a password manager, and that in a way feels broken, right? In practice, the 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 the, the, the use of the password manager today is to host all your identity as a whole, whether it's passwords, biometric, it's two FA factors, it's a payment in Dashlane. You can host your payment, you can host your IDs, and so on and to make your life when you're browsing as seamless as possible. That's kind of the, 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 the end goal, like a, a simple and security life online. And yeah. so whatever we can do to facilitate the user flow, so I'm on the e-commerce website, I'm going to be auto-logged in automatically, no matter what the website supports in terms of authentication mechanism. And then I purchase stuff, I get on the checkout page, same thing, we're going to auto-fill your credit uh, card uh, automatically. Uh, you can decide to uh, have a confirmation through a two-factor, whether it's a... Uh, your face ID or your fingerprint or whatever. And then, so, yeah, like, that, that's, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to, is to make your, your online life uh, simpler and still secure. Okay, but let's imagine you're now like a, a CTO of um, an online bank um, mm -hmm. and you have to provide all your team members uh, a B2B uh, good service for passwords, yep. be it Dashlane, be it one password, be it, be it another service. How would you like recommend or enforce uh, like proper policies? Um, what would be the policy uh, you would recommend? Is there any any second factor to log into one password or to Dashlane, or what is the how how would you enforce security? You know what? Uh, especially in those type of tools, the problem is not enforcing. Uh, the problem is adop adoption. Mm. Uh, you need the employees to actually use the tool to make it uh, efficient. And all the password managers and all those uh, security tools that are about uh, securing the employee, securing the human person uh, in the, the work environment, they're all really about adoption. So uh, it's, in a sense, uh, more important to make sure that you have the cool uh, user experience, that you make it easy for the employee or for the, the, the person in the enterprise to, to want to use the, to, the tool because it's convenient, because they can use it at home and at work and, and, and that type of stuff rather than try to enforce, okay, it needs to be... a Nine character long passwords and you need to, uh, you have to use a 2FA and so on. So of course you need to do also those things. But if uh, you enforce policies and they're not used by the, the, the employees and uh, you, you don't achieve your, 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 your goal, which is to secure the, the, the organization. So it's really, uh, yeah, the, the, the main, main, main challenge for tools like one password or ourselves is really adoption by the employee. So how do we make it uh, as easy as possible to deploy for the admins, as easy to use as possible for the employee to onboard to, uh, and, and so on. And by the way, that's also why uh, most password managers nowadays, when they, you have a B2B offering, in that you can also use a Dashlane, uh, for instance, at home and at work, and it's offered by the organization, but you can still use that home. In Dashlane uh, business license, you, you have a family plan as well, so you can also use Dashlane for your family, because we know that's also a, a risk factor, and so on and so on. That's, that's actually a nice thing. So I'm still paying for one password. Uh, 
at home uh, to to share passwords with my girlfriend. So maybe it's it's well, a good reason to move move over to Dashlane then. <laughs> yeah, you should buy a Dashlane uh, license for OMR for all the employees, and then you can have it at home at work and yeah. for the rest of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but one step back. Um, what what would be your recommendation then for for the bank um, that the bank recommends using a second factor for Dashlane then um, besides a password or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I think about uh, this uh, identity authentication security in a, in a company, for me, there are like two things. There is the, the critical services for the company and those they need to be under SSO and controlled by the admin and uh, very uh, tightly uh, secured with a two-factor and so on. And then you have all the other services that are not the critical ones. I don't know, like the, the Twitter account from the marketing team, the the, the, the access to the, that uh, CRM tool that is being used by uh, by the community managers and so on. And all of those ones, you're not going to plug all of them behind the SSO, or you might not even be able to. That's why you need a password manager to do the, the full coverage of your, your authentication. And then there's a, a side uh, part of it, which is that you shouldn't uh, underestimate, it, which is whatever people are doing at home, because they are going to reuse passwords from home to work and so on. And that's where also the password manager needs to, to encompass the full uh, spectrum of uh, the authentication for the employee. So I, I see it more as a complementary tool between uh, uh, enterprise SSO and uh, and, uh, for the employees. Okay, understood. This podcast is proudly presented by Viadi. Viadi IT Consulting is looking for new employees. What can potential candidates expect? Innovative projects, appreciative colleagues who grew up with the internet, just like you, and share many nerdy memories. Today, we work in teams of the digital future of regional companies. For more information, visit viadi.de that's v-i-a-d-e-e dot d-e slash e-n slash career and um I, i think that one of your key challenges then is keeping your tool secure right i mean keeping all the data secure um running potentially I, I don't know how how do you do it? Um, do you do you work with Hacker One or how do you keep your tool safe and and yeah, and we, we do. You actually uh, work with Hacker One, but at the at the, at the end of the day, it's about uh, common sense. Security is a lot of uh, common sense and a very simple principle. In our case, it's what we call zero knowledge architecture. So the way we've built Dashlane is uh, based on the fact that nobody can access the data, the use data, except the user uh, themselves. And the, the way we do it is that everything happens locally on the, the customer device. Encryption of the data is done locally with the master password that only the customer knows. So uh, we have nothing on our servers that can uh, be really hacked because we don't have the keys and we can't decrypt the, the data. So of course, uh, the encrypted data uh, comes to our server and can be, so that it can be replicated, synced and backed up for the customer convenience, but we don't have the keys. So we can't, we can never access the data Uh, if we get a subpoena, we couldn't even uh, give the, the data because we don't have it. So, uh, um, so that's a very simple uh, notion, concept. But of course, it has a lot of implication in how we implement it and the technical uh, uh, implementation of it is pretty complex. Mm. But it has ensured that so far we've never been hacked. We've never had a, uh, public breaches or data leaks or that type of stuff. So cross fingers. <laughs> but if someone is able to install a keylogger on a Mac, uh, then things would be broken, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the compromission of the device is game over no matter what. So if you have a, on your device, if you have a malware, a Trojan, a keylogger, they can read the memory, they can see what you're typing, 
So at this point, uh, your device is compromised. It's, it's a game over. And we've had a lot of conversation, by the way, on that topic with, uh, with Microsoft and with Apple about the fact that uh, there should be more OS-level uh, protection around device compromission. So like more things like uh, protected memory, uh, obfuscation, uh, automated obfuscation memory and so on. Because we've, we've been adding like countermeasures against those type of attacks. But there's so much we can do at the end of the day. Like I said, if you if they can see you typing and you, when you type your master password, uh, uh, then that's game over. So yeah, it's actually interesting to to see that there there's like a full world um, uh, around um, yeah devices, USB devices that can actually do keylogging for you and um, uh, pretend to be a oh, keyboard yes. and stuff like that. Um, and that's yet like not really solved, right? Uh, like OS level no. seems to be quite easy to, to, to hack. Exactly. If I think about the, 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 the attack vectors against Dashlane, there are like five of them. So we mentioned one, which is a device compromission. Of course, the main one is a application compromission, or if you have bugs or vulnerabilities that are uh, exploited by hackers. And so that's the one we work a lot to, uh, to, to and we use HackerOne as a bug bounty uh, for this one. There are the, then there are three others. One would be a what if a hacker uh, uh, attacks uh, our servers up, uh, on AWS. We are on AWS. They could get access to the backend for Dashlane. In practice, I don't think this is a really uh, efficient one because yet again, you would get access to millions and millions of small encrypted files, which are the, 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 the encrypted files for all the transactions that, that from Dashlane customers. But each of them is uh, encrypted with different key and you don't have the key. So then you, I'm not saying you couldn't brute, brute force individually each one of them, but then you would need a massive and massive amount of CPU or GPU and so on. Attack vector number four is uh, uh, hacking uh, Dashlane internal IT systems. And actually, uh, the, the main scenario here would be, okay, I'm, I'm in the Dashlane IT system and I'm trying to pass as a developer and put malicious code inside the Dashlane uh, CI, like the supply chain tacking. So this one is uh, one that keeps me awake at night. And so we're also working a lot to make sure it doesn't happen. And then the final one, the final attack vector is actually the, the human factor. What if someone were, would uh, bribe or threaten or corrupt a Dashlane employee? Mostly, most probably a Dashlane developer, uh, and th that developer would plant malicious code or backdoor into the Dashlane application. So that's uh, one we worked uh, hard also to, to prevent. Uh, and not that we don't trust our employees, but uh, who knows what can happen. Yeah, so the biggest problem is in between the headphones, typically, right? <laughs> I mean, also, also in, in the world of, of, of hacking and security, social engineering is kind of the biggest threat to, to, to companies yeah. out there, right? Um, I mean, exactly. imagine yourself, I don't know, wearing like a blue suit, like um, someone coming from, uh, I don't know, a network engineering company or something and just uh, like ringing the bell at the door and just, yeah, asking people if they can can enter your, your data your data room or uh, yeah. your, your, your hardware room. Um, it, it will yeah, on that most front, likely... On that front, yeah, it will work so much out, you can right? do against that. So yeah, yeah. so you need to tr you need to train your people. You need to educate them. You need to uh, to make sure, like, even, even things like phishing and so on. We need to make sure that they're aware about uh, the risk about phishing. That they are very uh, used to reporting phishing uh, campaigns. And uh, and actually, we do a lot of work around those that education of the, the employee to make sure that they're they're that they know the risks. They know the, the the security vectors. They know about social engineering. They know about all that stuff. And they are uh, more cautious and. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we are a security company, so that's also a part of our DNA. But, uh, but it's still hard even for us. Okay. Uh, one thing I still have on my mind. So you, uh, like, uh, stepping back to, to privacy and, and security, 
um, and, and maybe owning your own data. Um, wouldn't it be a nice thing? So Google recently came up with um, the topic of the privacy sandbox. I mean, if someone comes up with a privacy sandbox, I personally would prefer other companies than Google, uh, like just as a user. Um, is that something that could be offered by companies like Dashlane, that you really have that layer between the website um, and and the, the end user um, and really giving the user Uh, the choice uh, which which data leaves the room um, and, and 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 where it floats. Yeah, um, yet again, the privacy sandbox is more of a marketing uh, <laughs> thing than anything else. It's it's always the same concept. It's okay. Uh, you put things in a in a in a box, and the only one who has the key to the box is you. So mm -hmm. that's a zero knowledge type of architecture. That's what we do. That's what we do. Dashlane is a kind of a private sandbox in that sense. You put things in Dashlane, and you only want who has the keys to that vault. Uh, we don't have it. Uh, it's not transmitted. It's not stored anywhere. And so that's the, the main principle, and that's what it, Google is trying to replicate uh, in their in their ecosystem. Then, once we are there, then you decide what level of uh, convenience or additional uh, convenience you want on top of it, because the problem is that if you're the only one with the key, the only one in the box, uh, the Well, there's so much you can do. So uh, that's why we uh, at Dashlane we offer the fact, okay, that uh, that close box you can send it to us so that we store it and we back it up for you. So if you install a new phone, we provide it back. Uh, it's still the closed box. We so need to still have the key, uh, but uh, but that's more convenient for you rather than having to store yourself, uh, put it on a USB stick, and uh, try to put it back on your phone and, and so on. So that's convenience versus security, and that's always the compromise that you need to find. The, the, the one big thing to keep in mind is that if you lose the key, well, we have the closed uh, box, but we don't have the key, so you're, you're screwed. So you, you need to start over and uh, start with a new box if you lose the key. Mm. Um, but also, like I, I'm from the advertising world, and um, there are like uh, in ad tech, uh, there, there's been like a lot of discussion around data and cookies and so on. Um, wouldn't it be a nice offering from yourself, like Dashlane, companies like Dashlane, to actually offer that? that that box for for that world as well so that you actually um ask the user okay which information do you want to give to i don't know zalando um or or amazon um uh, whenever they ask for it um so that you really know uh, when the data floats is that doesn't that make sense yeah it, it totally make it totally makes sense uh the Kind of the, the, the side issue of it is that the, those websites or those, those uh, online providers, they need to support a way for us to be able to control that, uh, really, because today, you don't, I mean, if you go on uh, Amazon.com, uh, you don't really have a trust. You need to have a, put your login. You need to put your stuff. You even need to put your credit card in there to pay. And actually, uh, Amazon by default stores it. And they don't really give you the choice not to store it. So, uh, uh, we need, uh, like a, a trigger, I suppose, in the, in the market where those online providers, because of uh, uh, customer trends, because of regulations, they've decided that the risk for them to store that data is too high and they want to, uh, to use third parties or they want to have a different balance between what they store and what they, what they, 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 need, what they need to operate their business. Mm -hmm. And today, the, 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 the balance is very much and we try to aggregate as much data as we can because then we're more powerful. So that's a, a balance yeah. of power that is too, too much in balance today. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, there's also the right to be forgotten um, in the GDPR. Um, and yeah. yeah, 
I, I think it's something really hard to implement, right? If you, let, let, let's take Facebook, if you use Facebook Connect, um, then like I'm as a company using Facebook Connect would rather try storing the data um, than, than throwing it away. Yep. Uh, how can Facebook ever, um, ever enforce the right to be forgotten? Um, I think not really, right? No, not really, but, but uh, I mean, uh, implementing a zero knowledge approach uh, to, uh, to everything is possible. Uh, we do it. Uh, there are other uh, services that do it, like for instance, uh, most backup uh, services, I'm thinking about Backblaze that I use as a consumer to backup my personal uh, computer. They offer you the ability to uh, generate your own key and store your data with your own key. And so it's more complicated. It takes more effort, but it's more, uh, it's more privacy sandbox than um, just giving away everything uh, to, to Facebook and so on. So it's a, it's a question of choice from the, those providers. And uh, even though GDPR has been uh, complicated for everybody, I think it goes into the right direction of trying to rebalance things a bit. Uh, yeah. making sure that uh, the, the power or the control comes back a bit more to the consumer instead of being in the hands of the big techs and uh, uh, the ad tech and everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, we, we still want to talk a bit about, about tech and, and, um, and agile processes. Um, how does your stack look like? I mean, you already mentioned AWS. Uh, you obviously have a lot of JavaScript for, for browser extensions and so on. You're getting rid of all the yeah. Windows and Mac stuff, obviously. Uh, what what is left? Yeah, so uh, so on the client application side, uh, we have uh, an iOS app which is in Swift. We have an Android app in Kotlin, obviously. Our extension, our browser extension, are in um, in React, uh, very traditionally. And they use they leverage the extension APIs, and we've talked about Manifest V3 and so on. So that's pretty traditional. And our backend is pretty traditional as well. It's actually not JS, uh, TypeScript, and uh, AWS for the the, the for the cloud provider, and that's kind of it. And by the way, something that's interesting to think about uh, when you, you think about the architecture for a pattern manager is because so much is done locally on the device. We are a very heavy client side type of uh, application, and there's not so much on the server side. So we do have a server side to do a synchronization of data, to register a new account and so on. But we have the specifics of if our backend uh, has downtime, it's not the end of the world for us. Our customers can still use Dashlane locally on the device. Uh, things will get buffered and then uh, things will restart when we, we, we start again. Uh, so, so that's an interesting uh, setup. Does that mean you use something like CouchDB for, for storing the data because it's so good in synchronization? Um, no, we don't actually. We use uh, on the backend side. I mean, first, the data is uh, the, the, the vault data is pure uh, uh, file, uh, file system. It's on S3 and that's uh, uh, our own format and it's stored on S3 encrypted. And then from a database standpoint, uh, we use RDS. Uh, we use like a very traditional uh, SQL type of, uh, of database. But yet again, uh, the Dashlane database uh, in a sense is, uh, uh, is pretty limited. There's, uh, there's not much in there. There's uh, your email because you, you have uh, an email as a login to create your account on Dashlane and there's uh, a few information, but it's comparatively very small. Uh, and that's which is good for us from the Uh, GDPR standpoint because we are very limited PII and uh, we're we are by default a very compliant in a sense. Oh, okay. Um, and how do your teams look like? I think you had to restructure a bit every once in a while because you were getting rid of a certain client or a certain technology. Um, how many people do you have working on tech um, and how do you organize them? Uh, today, the engineering team at Dashlane is about 120 people. And so we have uh, three main uh, sub-department division in a sense. We have software engineering. We have what we call engineering operations. 
which is uh, release management, uh, QA and automate estimation and uh, project management. And then we have IT and security, everything related to security and uh, internal IT. So that's kind of the, the, the makeup of the team. We're distributed, uh, we're pretty distributed nowadays. We have uh, people, of course, in France, uh, in Portugal and in the US. We're trying not to go too west yet because then of the time zone difference becomes uh, too big, but uh, but still we have people in Colorado uh, down to uh, to La Réunion, which is actually a, a small island, which is part of France, but it's in the, the Indian Ocean. Uh, so like the, the spread of uh, the people that we have. And then from the more of a, a product engineering, like product uh, team, uh, we have uh, in time iterated a lot on our organization, how to work best uh, in product engineering to deliver for the for our customers and for our business. The current uh, iteration is that we have three um, uh, typologies of team. We have what we call the platform squads, which is our, like the, the then uh, means is a platform type of uh, of teams that are in charge of supporting the ecosystem. So we have an Android platform. They make sure that whenever there's a new Android version that comes out, that thing is compatible. They manage the tooling and the, the release infrastructure for the, all the other Android developers. So we have platform squads as a type of team number one. We have the, what we call the core teams. They're called the core team because they're around the, the, the core uh, features of Dashlane. So we split the feature set of Dashlane and those are our main feature teams. And then finally, we've, we have a few what we call mission teams. And those are teams that are more uh, temporary that we're going to spawn for a specific goal or a specific project. And for instance, at the moment, we have spawned the mission team around MV3 uh, compatibility. So we have a spe special effort around uh, being MV3 uh, compatible for extension. And once that's done, well, we'll dissolve the team and the uh, people in the team will go back to do something else. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and is the team, or like especially that manifest free team, for example, is that only specialists and only technical people? Or is there, I don't know, um, a product manager in the team as well, or like how, how is that arranged? Yeah, for, for mission teams, we, we staff the mission team with whatever they need in terms of skills. So in the, in the, the context of that specific uh, MV3 mission team, it's, I mean, it's very, really uh, web oriented. So we have uh, web engineers that are, uh, we only have web engineers, but we do have a product manager attached to the team because there are going, there is going to be a, uh, adaptation in the UX due to manifest V3. So we need to think about, okay, uh, what do we change in terms of user flow? And we, at some point, we'll probably need a bit of design help as well in the team. And we have someone from the project management team also helping the team and supporting the team, uh, uh, coaching them from an agile practices standpoint. So yeah, we, we staff as needed. And then we, that means we have a pretty continuous staffing mechanism where depending on the needs of that mission team or that core team or that platform squad, we are going to, to evolve the, whenever there's a newcomer, someone leaving, someone who wants to change teams. Uh, that's a bigger uh, part of our, the manager role to uh, to uh, adapt the staffing uh, kind of in real time depending on the needs of the business. And uh, the business is also part of that team, or is the business separate? The business org. No, we do have representative of the business for each team. So we have a product marketing representative, we have a sales representative, and so those people are not full time in the team because they have other stuff to do. But we have a contact points and they take part into like the, the definition of the roadmap and they provide feedback uh, to on the, on the initiatives and the tests and the the, the, pro the projects that we do and so on. And we have the same, by the way. We also have a customer support representative for each team and uh, an analytics data analytics representative to help the team around the all the data needs and so on. Okay, interesting. And um, like on high level goals, how do you set high level goals? Like w when do you say, okay, let's, let's, let's form a team around that. Um, 
how does that happen? Um, and, and, and also company goals, do you have something like that? Yeah, it was, it's pretty classic. So we have a North Star strategy, which is kind of a three-year strategy that we define uh, as a, like the, 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 the main vision for what we're going to do like in the next three years. And then we have a, a we take this and we split it in a, a yearly chunk. So the, for, for instance, right now, we are finalizing the, the definition of the 2022 uh, company strategy. And uh, around that company strategy, there is, of course, a budget, a 2022 budget that needs to be approved by our board. There is uh, an engine strategy, uh, what is going to be the main uh, uh, initiatives on the technical side to support the, the strategy. And there's a product roadmap attached to it. And there are also uh, company OKRs for the year. And then that's, that, that packages the, 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 the composite strategy for 2022 and then cascades into all the fit, the teams and the, in all the, the, the departments attached chain. So, uh, core teams will have their own, uh, uh, for instance, we have a core team around autofill. Uh, that core team, they have their own roadmap that serves the, the company OKRs and that serves the company strategy with their own uh, sets of metrics and, uh, and so on. And the company so, OKRs classic, are, are, are defined once per year. And then you have quarterly OKRs in the teams or? Yeah, we have company yearly company OKRs. Sometimes we revisit them in the middle of the year, but they're mostly like for the year. And uh, then it cascades into quarterly OKRs for, for most teams. Depends on the... We have, after many years of uh, using OKRs, uh, we've actually been uh, more flexible with the OKR framework today. Uh, and so teams will use OKR in their own flavor, depending on their needs and their, their typologies. And some teams won't use OKR if they don't think it fits with them. And so that's a, uh, we have a pretty lightweight approach today to OKRs. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, OKRs is such a, it, it seems to be such a mighty thing um, in a way, but um, it, it is a lightweight approach if you do it right. But how do you make sure, I mean, I've worked in companies that introduced OKRs and um, then um, you had that OKR alignment week somewhere between the quarter starting and you had like, you there was heavy lifting done in the background and um, then the quarter started and no one spoke about OKRs for a few months. And then like shortly be before the next OKR alignment week, people suddenly rushed around and tried to, 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 to close a lot of close down a lot of, um, um, uh, construction sites. Um, how do you make sure that OKRs are really connected to your roadmap and uh, to your, the actual, let's say issues and, and, and stories in, in your, on your product roadmap? Yeah, I mean, we, we did the same in the past. We used to have like those uh, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly alignment. And uh, in the end, it, it was not that efficient. There was a lot of overhead and uh, it made the, 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 the OKR process a way to uh, cumbersome. So we've kind of not, well, we don't, don't do it that much anymore. We, we do company OKRs to give context to the whole organization about what we expect. But then we give quite a lot of autonomy to the team to decide, uh, okay, how are they going to serve this? And the alignment is actually done uh, not... Uh, uh, because we have a, a deep alignment across the whole organization. It's more like done uh, uh, by capillarity, if that makes sense. Uh, meaning uh, uh, of co a core team doesn't work in isolation. There is a review that's being done at the product level and uh, at the product engineering level. So we are, in a sense, uh, the, 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 uh, making sure uh, the CPU and the CTO that whatever they're doing fits the strategy. And then we, we tie things back like one-on-one -on -one and step-by-step -step across the, the, the whole uh, uh, ladder tying up to the, the OKR, but there's not like a big alignment stuff. So whenever the so, team comes and say, okay, uh, 
we think we're going to do that. Uh, there is a lot of, there's a feedback loop discussions happening. Okay. Does that make sense? Does it fit the overall strategy? Yes and no. Yes, you can do it. And no, uh, let's discuss. That's, mm -hmm. that's mostly what it is. And is there any grading happening? I mean, do you then also revisit the, the company OKRs by the end of the year and then, I don't know, check how, how, how you, how successful you've been or? Yeah, yeah we, uh, we do. I mean, we, uh, as part of OKR, you have the KRs, which are the metrics. So uh, we do have a uh, data that we track and that we make sure uh, we're doing the right direction and uh, we evaluate whether we're successful or not. Uh, at the company level, obviously it's more like business oriented the metrics, even though for instance, this year we had things around the, um, uh, uh, efficiency of, uh, the, the, the quality and efficiency for the engineering team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it depends. So when you're deep in the team, you're going to have very uh, granular metrics that are related to what the team is working on. So I was mentioning, for instance, that autofill team, of course, they're going to have things that are metrics that, that are related to, uh, the, 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 the autofill metrics uh, and how you, the customers use dashing and so on. And those are going to tie back into NPS and tie back into uh, store ratings and they're going to tie back into business and revenues and, and how much we sell and so on. So that's a, that's a bit how it is. Sounds, sounds quite lean. And how many objectives do you set per year? Um, always too many. <laughs> but uh, for instance, if I think about 2021, we had uh, three O's for the company and uh, two KR each. So we had six. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we added one more uh, at some point, but uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, really. But when you cascade it, uh, it, it multiplies, and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously, and then it gets a problem if, uh, like, a team has ten yeah, yeah. different O's. Um, obviously, no, no, exactly. What are your your recent top three learnings around team structure and organizations and and agile processes? Um, because you went through quite a lot of different phases, as far as I've seen. Um, I, I saw a nice talk um, recommended to everyone: half baked agility by yourself on on, on YouTube. Um, what are your top three learnings? If you could say that, like th those, those are the three takeaways, uh, that, that like really surprised me in the, in the last year. I don't think they're going to be so, so surprising, but one thing that is really, uh, important in my mind is, uh, try not to do too many things in parallel. As a startup, that's always a big risk. We want to, uh, we have too many ambitions. We want to do too many things at the same time. And, uh, at the end of the day, you, you dilute the, the, the focus and you dilute the, the, the results. So I'm always trying to, to make sure that we have a, a, a fewer priorities, like fewer top priorities, uh, stronger focus and less uh, peanut buttering uh, the, the, the people uh, on too many things because then at the end of the day, you don't achieve anything. And that's super hard because, of course, there's always, always a lot of pressure to, uh, to do more and to do uh, more in parallel and so on. But, uh, that's something we've been... Uh, uh, working a lot and that's been a big, big challenge at Dashlane like okay let's make sure that there is a stability and focus for the team so that they can work uh, in the long term on the one key top priority and uh, that we don't pile up things and initiatives and projects they need to do and then at the end of the day they, they fail all of them so it's uh, probably not very surprising but so much of a, a challenge for, for an organization like ours okay yeah that's really not surprising but um I also think it's always a good reminder to every once in a while. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. At, right? oh yeah. And by the way, it, does, it has a lot of, uh, if I think about engineering, it has a lot of side implications because of course, uh, 
if people don't have the right context, then they're going to be uh, not providing the right value. If they don't have the right clarity and context and the priorities, they're going to be uh, frustrated because they're working on something that might not be the top priority. If uh, if you change a strategy too much, if you do too much strategy whiplash, then we have a lot of inefficiencies in the in the organization. So, I mean, uh, yet again, a focus and simplicity and uh, and clarity is like at the heart of everything. And then. Uh, and then you have good people, you've hired good people, you have hired the right one, they're happy to be part of the, that adventure and they, they're going to do their best work if you provide this. But it's way more complicated to do actually than it seems to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always it's always more complicated. Um, so if we could now go back to into the year 2001 uh, when you've been working at IBM as a project manager, uh, just finishing your studies um, and you now had the chance to whisper something into into your young self years, what, what would it be? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, the first learning I got out of IBM, and that's going to be a bit uh, maybe depressing as a learning, was that uh, um, you always work for people, you don't work for a company. Uh, and IBM was a big machine at the time, and I was in the, the consulting group, and uh, we were really like... A, Kind of considered like meat <laughs> being sold out there to customers and so on. And I did learn a lot at the time, and I I, I enjoyed my days. But from a, a spirit standpoint, uh, uh, yeah, that was a big learning. That uh, okay, you, you work for people, and the, the, those are the, the people that you're going to follow in your life and your career. And and uh, that's the human relationship is what matters. And uh, the company is more of a, uh, an envelope around all this. But uh, you don't work for the company or for the people that are part of the company. And so. That's why the team is so important. That's why who you hire, who you work with is so important. No matter what project you're working on, you are like uh, joking about the fact that they moved from online gambling to uh, task management. But what didn't matter to me uh, in both experience was the people I was working with and the, the people also as a CTO I could uh, help grow in their own life and in their own career. And that's what uh, I think that's the key. And, uh, and at some point uh, in online gambling, I was part of BetClick. I didn't feel the connection anymore with the, the, what the organization was trying to achieve and the connection with the people that were around me. That's why I decided to leave. And that's, that's something that's a, an important learning when you start your career, I think. Okay. Thanks a lot, Frederick. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was really interesting talk. Um, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, I hope, um, or fingers crossed for your move to New York. Um, Thank Maybe you very much. I'll, I'll visit you there at a certain time. <laughs> so, Be my guest. <laughs> great. And um, yeah, let's 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 see uh, how you come to or when when you're going to be a a unicorn or way above unicorn. I guess you already are. <laughs> um, and and uh, yeah, how your journey progresses. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so Dashlane is a very interesting uh, journey. And I encourage all the, the people who are listening to use a password manager if they're not, because that's uh, really critical in today's world for your digital uh, hygiene. In a sense. Thanks a lot, Frederick. See Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>